Turn to John 1 this morning. John chapter number 1. We're going to keep working through uh, this book of the Bible, and we're going to cover a pretty big section this morning, verses 35 through 51. This is our fourth installment of the Gospel of John that will take us the better course of a year to work through, but I am, uh, I'm excited. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are the, the Scripture is on the outline that's inside of your bulletin. If you don't have a Bible, I would say this, please go by the guest center. I don't care if you're new or if you've been here a long time. If you don't have one, we want to give one to you. We want it to, we want it to be our gift to you, uh, so, so grab one if, uh, if that would be a blessing to you. The first 34 verses, I, I think we could encapsulate it this way. The, it's the testimony of John the Apostle and the testimony of John the Baptist, two different guys, both named John, and, and who they saw Jesus to be. And you find out very quickly that, that Jesus is not just another man or another prophet, but he's in the category all to himself, that he's the eternal creator God who, who took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we get to behold the glory of the Father. He's the source of light. He's the source of life. All those who believe on him can come into the family of God. That John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. He's the one. I'm not worthy to clean his feet. I'm just the dirt crew in front of him preparing the road so that you can point to him. He's the king coming. He's the Messiah. It's all about Jesus. Now, based on who Jesus is throughout the course of the first 34 verses, we're now going to be introduced to five individuals who begin to follow Jesus early on in the ministry of Jesus. And that's what we're going to read here this morning. So this is, we normally don't read this big a passage of scripture, but you're you can handle it. I believe that you can. You can hang with me, read with me, and we'll try to engage in it. We're going to read verses 34 through 51, and then our task this morning is to understand what this is telling us. So look actually at verse number 35. 34 is where we left off last week. Look at verse number uh, 35. Again, the next day after John stood, speaking of John the Baptist. So if you remember last week, some people came to John and said, John, who are you? Are you the Messiah? No, definitely not. That's Jesus. He's who you're looking for. That was day one. The next day, day two, Jesus came and John declared, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now the next day, day three, John is standing again and he's going to see Jesus again. And he stood there with two of his disciples. Verse 36. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And two, the two disciples which heard him speak, they followed Jesus. And Je So here's the two. We'll learn that one of them is named Andrew. One of them will remain nameless. But these are two men out of the five that are going to start following Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? Guys, what are you looking for? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, be an interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. You could say about 4 p.m. One of the other two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So two guys, disciples of John the Baptist, who realized John was the pre-show, Jesus is the main show. We're following Jesus now. We're, 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 we're hooking up to him and we're going with him. One's Andrew, the brother of Peter, Simon Peter, and one is nameless. Most theologians think the nameless guy is actually John the Apostle who's writing this. We don't know for sure. But here's what's going to happen. We're going to be introduced to Andrew's brother, Simon Peter. Verse 41, here's the third guy. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said unto him, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is being interpreted a stone. 
Then we're going to find the fourth guy here, Philip. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and he findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. And Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now guy number five, Nathaniel, verse 45. Philip findeth Nathaniel, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel saith unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under a fig tree, thou believest? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. Well, there's a lot to learn in this passage. It's a, it's a big chunk of Scripture, uh, but I want to try to extract it and boil it down to a few different things. And I'll lead with this idea that Jesus is the only way to heaven, but there are many ways to Jesus. I think you learn that from looking at the story of these five guys that all come to Jesus uh, really in a different way. And, and I'll start with the first half of that, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That is very, very plainly taught by Jesus himself and by the scriptures that, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to heaven. You can read that most explicitly probably in John chapter number 14 of this same gospel, but, but they're the idea that's modern, that there's all these different roads and paths winding up the same mountain, that ultimately you get to the same place. It doesn't matter how you get there. We're all headed to the same place. You get there by Islam, get there by, by uh, you know, Hinduism, get there by your atheism, whatever. As long as you believe in something and you have faith in something, even if it's yourself, you'll get there. We're all headed to the same place. You know, Jesus is a good teacher, but he's just one of many options. That idea is utterly refuted by the words of Jesus himself and by and by the Bible. And, and he is abundantly clear that he is the only way, the only way, solo, to the Father. You cannot get to heaven except by him. This is why for the first 34 verses of John's gospel, John has been almost in a painstaking way going through the details of who Jesus was, that he's the source of light. He's the source of life. We just derive it from him. He gives it to us. He is the one that gives us relationship with the Father. He was the word, the logic, the, the answer to most life's essential questions. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. This is why John the Baptist could very plainly say, look, I'm not worthy to clean his feet. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. He's the king that's coming over and over again. You see that through 34 verses. And now you're going to see that leveraged into these guys who come into faith and begin to follow Jesus. And you find that Jesus, the only way to heaven, there's many ways to him. So for example, you would find Andrew and the nameless disciple of John the Baptist. What happens? How do they get to Jesus? Well, a spiritual leader points them that way. They're these guys that are in uh, theological training. They're under the tutelage of a spiritual leader. They, they want to please the Lord. They have a heart for his word. They want to give their lives for something greater than themselves. They, they're monotheistic. They believe in one God. Here they are, disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, their spiritual leader, comes along and says, Hey, 
there's the one I was telling you about. The one that, that all, all of this is about. The one that we should be looking for. There he is. And he points them to Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, due to the massive influence of their spiritual leader, they begin to follow Jesus and they pursue him. Then you have one of those guys, Andrew, who goes and finds Peter or Simon. And you find that Peter is introduced to Jesus because family told him. It's not necessarily this massive spiritual leader who's pointing him, but Andrew, his brother, comes and finds him and says, Simon, we have found the Messiah. He's here. We, we discovered him, the deliverer, the anointed one, the Christ. The Messiah is here. Simon, come and see. And apparently Simon has a heart to follow Jesus, and he's coming almost with this expectation and anticipation that what Andrew, his brother, said was true, wanting to put his faith in Jesus. And here comes Simon, and something strange happens. Jesus finds Simon and says, Simon, good to meet you, buddy. I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Cephas, which being interpreted as stone or rock. Now, Cephas is Aramaic for stone or rock. Peter is Greek for stone or rock. It's the same name in two different languages. So it's, it's a little bit confusing that you could read the Bible and you could find Peter or Cephas or Simon Peter all referring to the same guy. But what happens is Jesus gives them a new name. Now, that's, to me, a bit strange. What if I met you and said, hey, good to meet you. I'm Mark. What's your name? Dan? Dan, good to meet you. I'm going to call you Harry, man. And you know what? Other people are going to call you Harry, too. We're all going to call you Harry now. That would be weird, would it not? You would think like, what? You don't get to do that. Like you don't have the authority to just rename him. His parents chose that name. Why, why is it that someone would have a name or even be renamed? Well, most of us got our name because the ones who had authority to name us named us, right? Our parents named us. Some changed their name. Maybe uh, during adoption, you oftentimes will see that people will change their name. Or maybe someone goes through an identity crisis and their identity changes drastically and they decide they want to change their name along with that. Really, in this story, you have all of those happening. You have one who has the authority to change the name if he wants to. You have, you have uh, Peter who's coming into the family and is being adopted. You have a massive shift of identity that I'm going from businessman, fisherman, just, just kind of living life to a complete follower of Jesus. All of this is happening at once and Jesus says, I'm going to call you Cephas now or I'm going to call you Peter now. And Peter comes in the faith via his, via his sibling, via his family, his brother. Then you find that there's Philip. Look in verses uh, 43 and 44. You'll find that no one finds Philip except Jesus and Jesus alone. Verse 43, the following day Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip. So there's no one going and running and telling Philip, Jesus, like out of nowhere, like a heat-seeking missile, comes after Philip. We don't have a ton of color. We don't know a lot of what he's doing that day. But we find that, that Jesus finds him and says, Philip, come and follow me. And Philip says, yes, I'm in. I'm following you. Then you find that Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. Nathaniel is this guy who, who just a friend brought me. And, and here he comes, Nathaniel. We have found the one that Moses and the prophets, they spoke of, that they were all pointing to. We found this Jesus. Come and see him. Now notice in these stories that it's different for each of these guys. You have at the beginning, you have an Andrew who is, who is very spiritually sensitive, looking for Jesus, and is pointed by John the Baptist and, and has very little questions. Andrew actually comes to Jesus and Jesus says, what are you looking for? And they're like, nothing. Where are you staying? We're going with you. Like, no questions. We're in. We know that you're the Messiah. We know you're the Lamb of God. We, I mean, we were on just the very edge 
just looking for you and John the Baptist just tipped us a little bit and here we are, we're in faith and we're following Jesus. Now the end of the passage, you have a, a, a larger chunk of Scripture to Nathaniel because Philip finds Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, we found the one of whom Moses and the prophets spoke of. This is awesome. And Philip's like, who is he? Well, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, I'm not so sure, bro. Like, that, uh, I don't know about this. And he expresses his doubts. And that's more than him saying, you know, anything good come out of Nazareth? It's more than a shot at a little podunk town, although Nazareth was a podunk town. It's him saying, like, I don't know that I'm buying this. I don't, I don't know. And Philip says, well, come and see, man. You ever been there where someone believes in the power of something and they're trying to get you to buy in, but you're just like, yeah, I don't know that I'm buying in. Ever been there? This happens to me like weekly on Facebook. There's always somebody selling Monet, doTERRA, essential oils, Plexus, whatever. Some of you sell them. I'm not against you selling them. I'm not saying they don't work. All I'm saying is that when you lead with like this crazy, elaborate, here's the power of this product, I'm skeptical. When you tell me that I can swallow this and it'll change my skeletal structure and I'll grow three inches this year, I'm not buying it. If you tell me I rub this on my, on my skin and I get to like communicate to my pets via telepathy, I'm not, I'm not, I know, I do not believe you. That if you, I mean, maybe it's a new scent like psychedelic mushroom that you can do that to work with, but that's not, I'm not buying it. And Nathaniel's a bit this way. He's like, yeah, this sounds great. I kind of hope that it would work. I hope that it's true, but I'm, I'm not completely convinced of this. He's come and see. So he comes and here comes Nathaniel to Jesus. They've never crossed paths before. And Jesus says, look, behold, there's an Israelite in whom is no guile. And there's an explanation point on the end. That guy right there, he's sincere. He's genuine. He's not plastic. There's no guile in him. This is more than a compliment. This is Jesus saying, I know who at his core, I know who Nathaniel is. I've never met you, man, but I know how you operate. I know what drives you. I know deep inside who you really are, that you're not pretentious, you're not plastic. There's a man in whom is no guile. And Nathaniel says, you know me? He says, yeah, not only do I know you, but I actually know when Philip came and found you, I wasn't around, but you were sitting under a fig tree, weren't you? And Nathaniel says, oh, son of God, king of Israel. How would you know that? This is supernatural. There's no way that you could have known about me and where I was. And Jesus says, you think that's cool? Wait a little while. You, you're not going to believe what you're going to see. This, this is nothing. This is the tip of the iceberg, man. But here he comes with his questions, with his doubts. By the way, if you have friends or family have questions or doubts, don't pour water on those directly or indirectly. Don't make them feel stupid or try to shut them up because of their questions. Questions are allowed. Jesus isn't scared of people's questions. You're, you're allowed to have questions. Not everybody grows up in Sunday school and church and has everything figured out and has, you know, a, a spiritual leader to just point them to Jesus and at age eight, come to faith. Not everybody does that. Some of you did. Many of you did. But some of you were introduced to Jesus later on in life by family that you saw them and you thought you had it figured out. But man, they, they changed. I don't know what happened to Bob, but Bob's a different person. And Bob says, let me tell you, I met Jesus. I got saved. And that drew you in. Some of you had a, a friend. Some of you, you were just going through life, not trying to find Jesus at all. No one was talking to you about Jesus. And, and out of nowhere, like a meteor, Jesus came and he found you. That you, you weren't expecting to find that Bible in the hotel room. You weren't expecting to see that billboard. You weren't, whatever it was. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, before you knew it, you were following Jesus and you're thinking, I don't even know how this happened. What is going on inside of me? And, and he found you. 
All of our stories are different. That's what I'm trying to say. They're all different. But what matters is that the ending is the same, right? No matter how you get to Jesus, what matters is that you got to Jesus. What matters is that you're a follower of him and that your testimony is one that says, you know what? Here's my way. Here's my way. It's all different. It's beautiful. We love those. We celebrate those. We want to share those with each other. But we all got there in, in the long run. Some of you, it was very, it was very easy for you. It, you. You were programmed with faith. Others of you expected to meet Jesus and, and you found out that it was true when you came to church for that first time. Some had questions, some didn't. But whatever it was, you found him. I would say this. I used to struggle when I was uh, younger that I didn't have a testimony that was uh, cool. I used to think my testimony was boring, right? So I'm the kid that had, you know, Christian parents and, and Christian relatives. And my father was the first kind of in his family line to, to find Jesus. But he had evangelized like the whole family tree by the time I was born. And everybody knew Jesus. And, and we went to church. And, and I was this kind of almost John the Baptist story that spiritual leaders pointed me. And at a very early age, I, I put my faith in Jesus. And I used to maybe meet someone or hear someone's testimony. And, and it would be this crazy outlandish testimony of how did you find Jesus? Well... You know, I was raised by warrior monks, ninjas in the mountains of Mongolia, and they trained me to be a hitman. And at age 11, I was carrying out missions, and Interpol was searching for me, and I got, I got locked up, and they're in prison out of an empty can of ravioli. It's the only thing I had to eat for a month. But a light and a voice sprang forth and said, follow me and come in. And I, I put my faith in Jesus. I left prison. I started Stadium Crusades, and Billy Graham called me, asked for advice, and I mean, it's just my testimony. <laughs> And I would hear those stories and be like, that's so awesome. Like, I want that too. I'm like, what's your testimony? Well, you know, I grew up in church. I, I went to bed late once and repented of my sin. I put my faith in Jesus. That was it. And I used to think, like, I want that. But now that I have kids, I realize I want my kids to have a boring testimony. <laughs> Isn't that right, parents? You want them to have a boring testimony. Ever been to prison? Nope. Ever been to rehab? Nope. Yay! Like, this is awesome! So no matter what your story is, it's your story. What matters is that Jesus found you, you found him, you're his follower, you're, you're pursuing it. That's what matters in the long run. We celebrate those, but what really matters is that we found him. I would say this, this is important to know, and it's all through this passage. Jesus is calling followers. Look in verse number 37. You find this terminology very specifically used. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus Verse number 38, Jesus turned and saw them doing what? Following. Verse number 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, follow me. You see, why is it important that Jesus is calling followers? Well, it teaches you a lot. And the primary thing it teaches you is that Jesus doesn't follow you, right? If you're a follower of Jesus and he calls you to follow him, He's not following you. That sounds simple, but it's worth saying. There, there are some people that think that they're in charge. I'm the leader. You're not. When you're a follower of Jesus, he's in charge. He's the leader. You don't die and give an account to yourself in a mirror. You die and give an account to Jesus. Jesus is the one who should be in control. Being a follower implies that I have surrendered control to him and he gets to lead. The fact that you would say, 
I'm a follower of Jesus should mean that Jesus is leading you. I meet people often and I'll talk to them. Are you a follower of Jesus? Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Great, tell me your testimony. And I'm bracing myself for Mongolian ninja warrior. But their testimony is, well, I prayed a prayer. Cool, I'm glad you prayed a prayer. Tell me about following Jesus. What do you mean? Well, tell me how he's leading you. Tell, tell me what he's talking to you about. Tell me what he's revealing to you. Tell me how he's shaping you. I, I don't know. I mean, like, tell me how he's working in your life. I don't know. Now, it's above my pay grade to put people in heaven or hell. That's not my job. But that's scary. If the testimony is, I prayed a prayer, and I got my get out of, get out of you know, hell free card, and I got my fire insurance for eternity, and, and that's, that's all I got, and now Jesus isn't working, Jesus isn't, um, there's, there's nothing happening in my Christian life, there's nothing going on, like, that's scary. It would seem to indicate maybe you're not following. Either he's not leading or you're not following. And I guarantee you the problem's not with Jesus. So being a follower means that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm growing, I'm learning, I, I'm taking my cues from Jesus. He's in charge. He sits on the throne of my heart. I have surrendered control to him. This is why Paul would often write and he would say that I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He's the master. I'm the servant. Jesus isn't your co-pilot, Okay. He's, he's not your therapist. He's not your assistant. He's not the man upstairs. You don't call him to follow you. you. You are called to follow him. A lot of Christians treat Jesus with this, you know, Jesus, if I need you, I'll call you, but don't call me. I got your number, man. I'll call you if, I need, if I'm in an emergency. Uh, you know, I'll ring the phone and, and you answer and I, I expect you to come running and to help me out, but, but don't call me. That's not how it works. Following Jesus is Jesus Here's my number, here's my address, here's whatever you need. Call me, email me, show up, I don't care, whatever you need. You're in control, you're the leader, and I follow you. I would say this, following Jesus means that you need to figure out what your next step is. The Christian life, biblically, is often referred to as a walk. You would find a lot of scriptures that say things like, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. We walk by faith, not by sight. Walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why is it that, that our Christian life in Jesus is referred to as a walk? What is a walk? A walk is very simple. It's one step followed by another step, followed by another step, followed by another step, ad nauseum, right? And when you're following Jesus, it means that I'm taking a step, and then I'm taking another step, and I'm taking another step, and I'm constantly looking and asking Jesus, what's my next step? Jesus, where do you want me to go? The Christian life is not this, hey, you know what? I got saved. I figured some stuff out. I got my 10-year badge in Sunday school, and now I'm good to go. I've reached, you know, I'm a spiritual superhero. I'm on a plateau. I'm good to go. No more steps for me. You'll never reach that point. There's always going to be a next step. There's always going to be something to, to figure out. And sometimes, even as you mature in Jesus, you'll reach this point where, hey, I got a little bit of a handle on the Scriptures. I got a little bit of a handle on how I'm supposed to pray. A little bit of a handle on how I'm supposed to treat my wife. And you just, you just start the lazy river of Christianity where you're just floating and you're not pursuing or working or taking a next step. But there's always a next step. And all of our walks are different. My next step probably is not your next step. And your next step may not be your spouse's next step. That's good to know spouses. Sometimes your spouse can be in a, in a different place than you and need a different step than you do. And we're all different, but you need to be pursuing what is that. Undoubtedly in a room this size, some of you just need to start with step one and you need to put your faith in Jesus and say, I surrender control. I'm following you. I accept you. You're my savior the end. 
Some of you need to go get a, a Bible from the guest center. You need to start reading it. Some of you need to find your Bible and dust it off. Some of you need to start praying because your prayer life is, is on life support. Some of you need to be baptized and that's your next step. Some of you need to get into a discipleship program and actually start to be grounded doctrinally a little bit. Some of you need to figure out which church you're going to park in and grow and actually plant some roots in. Some of you financially need to start giving and trusting the Lord with your finances. Some of you need to get plugged in and serve. Some of you need to start opening your mouth and quit being ashamed of Jesus and start witnessing for him. On and on I could go but the goal is that i'm a follower he wants to lead me what's next and i know that's vague i can't answer that for you i wish i had a little eight ball i could shake and could just tell you here's your next step every time but i don't got that but you have the word of god you have the holy spirit of god inside of you if you're a follower of jesus and you need to ask him jesus reporting for duty what's the command what are the orders What's the next step? Where would you want me to go? Sometimes it's internally. That he wants to work and whittle away at your critical spirit or your gossip or your complaining or your arguing or your unforgiveness or whatever it may be. You need to approach him and say, look, I, I know you're good at leading, so lead me. Lead me. I, I, there's, there's nothing off the table. Whatever you want. Whatever, if, if some of you would just find that and really take inventory of your life and approach the Lord this week and try to hone in and say, Jesus, what do you want? What is next for me? If you would just do that and pursue that for a few months, your Christian life would, would be so helped, would be so helped if you would just figure that out. I would say this, followers invite others to come and see. That is abundantly clear through this passage. People begin to follow Jesus and then right away they start to go find other people. You find that, that Andrew wants to go find his brother. You find that Philip wants to go find his friend. You find that people, they just, John the Baptist is pointing. You, you have go and tell and come and see mingled together. And that really is evangelism at its core. Go and tell and come and see. You find people going and telling, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. We found the one who the scriptures point to. We found the anointed one. We found him. I'm, I'm going. I'm telling. But with that, you find this come and see. Verse number 39. Look at that verse. You find uh, this. He saith unto them, Jesus says, come and see. You find in verse 46, the same phrase mentioned again. Nathaniel said, can there be any good thing? And Philip saith unto him, come and see. That would be a, a great, some of you have that next step in front of you. Be a beautiful thing. If you just started to go and tell about Jesus and even invite them to come and see. Hey, come to church. We want, we, I, I would love for you to come and see and hear about Jesus. John's gospel is beautiful for evangelism. It literally just exalts Jesus. We're going to do that for, for a year long. It's going to be fantastic. To, hey, come and see. Some of you can come over to my house. Have a meal with me. Come and see what a, what a Christian home is like. You say, but my, my relationship with Jesus is personal. I know it is. I'm all for that. Your relationship with Jesus should be personal. But it shouldn't be private. There's a difference. Personal, good. Private, mm, not so good. You want to be a witness. You want to be salt and light. Jesus calls his followers to do that. When I was dating my wife, we did a year of long distance. That's how our relationship began. We had met in passing. And then uh, I was in Arkansas finishing up my senior year of college and getting my bachelor's degree in theology. And she had already finished uh, her degree. She was teaching and uh, she was in Southern California. So we did a year of long distance and we began to talk and about three or four months into our, our long distance relationship, I figured out, and I'm not exactly sure how I figured this out. Maybe she told me, maybe I connected dots, I don't remember. But I figured out that she was keeping me on the down low in case this didn't work out. 
I figured out that her thought process was the odds of this materializing into something grand are slim. So why tell everybody? Why get people's hopes up? She wasn't trying to date other guys, but, but why do this? I'll just kind of keep it a secret. So then when it doesn't work out, no one's disappointed. I don't have to answer all the questions, da 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 Meanwhile, I'm in Arkansas telling everybody I can meet, I found the girl I'm marrying. Like, I, this is, it's done. It's over. So I, I figured this out, and I, I was a, a little bit perturbed, but sneakily I thought, I'm going to undo this. So I sent flowers to her workplace with a little card that said, now when people ask who these are from, you have to tell them they're, they're from me. Now she could have like hit them and just put them in a trash can or something, but enough people knew that these came by. And so sure enough, it worked beautifully. <laughs> Friends, coworkers, man, who are those from? What happened? I saw flowers delivered, whatever. And she, she couldn't lie, you know, she's Christian. She has to tell them they're from, from this guy, right? And all of a sudden the word started to get out. I wanted it to be known that she, that she had a bit of a relationship with me, that there was something happening. I wanted that to be known. Now, Jesus is not going to send flowers to your workplace. I can promise you that. But perhaps he's sending just John 1, verses 35 through 51 to you today so that, so that you can learn, you know what? I need, to, I need to open up. I know it can be scary, intimidating, weird, whatever. I get that. But I, I need to be a true follower, goes and tells. A true follower invites people to come and see. There's a million ways to do that. Just tell people about Jesus. Talk about your testimony. Share your story. Go to lunch with a coworker. Hey, what's your story? You know what they'll ask you in return? What's your story? Bump says, spike it. Tell them your story. Invite them to church. Have them over for dinner. Place your Bible on your workstation. Pray for them. Pray with them. Brag on Jesus through your social media platform. There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of excuses too, but the bottom line is there's more ways than ever for you to be a witness. You live in a free country. You're, you're not going to be martyred because of it. So talk about him. Open up. A true follower says, hey, come and see. I invite you. I, I want to share. I want to talk about Jesus with you. Lastly, I would say this. You've got to know who Jesus is. I love this passage of Scripture because it gives you nine different descriptions of Jesus. There's all these descriptions of Jesus that are, that are all throughout the Gospels, but they're, they're compressed and compacted all into this passage to give you a really robust understanding of who exactly Jesus is and why would I follow him. It gives you all these descriptions. Here they are. I don't have a lot of time. I'll hit them quickly. The Lamb of God. This was the first one in verse number 36 that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Referencing the sacrificial system where they were sacrificing lambs without spot, without blemish, without any defect, that they were offered as a band-aid for sin, as a temporary atonement, but they were looking for the perfect lamb, the one that would take away the sin of the world, the once and for all sacrifice. And John is saying, that's him. The once and for all sacrifice. There's no defect. There's no blemish. There's nothing wrong. There's no sin. There's no, there's no iniquity there. He's the Lamb of God. And he says the previous day that he will be slain and he will take away the sin of the world. We're told that he's rabbi in verse number 38 or master or teacher. This means we have a lot to learn. The fact that Jesus is called rabbi means he's the teacher and we're the student. If you're the follower, he's the leader. If he's the rabbi, then you're the student. This means that when his word comes in conflict with your will, his word should win. Amen. You tracking with that? If he's the teacher, then when his word 
comes in conflict with your will, His Word should win. If there's something that, that Jesus says to you and it contradicts your sensibilities, He doesn't want you to edit Him. He wants you to follow Him and believe Him. Jesus doesn't need editors. He needs messengers. What He said is just fine. He doesn't need an assist from you. He doesn't need you to change it. He doesn't need you to help Him out. It is, it is perfectly fine. I personally believe that to be unclear is to be unkind. So I will be really, really clear. You ready for this? If you disagree with Jesus, you're wrong. Okay? That simple. He is the rabbi. He is the teacher. Don't believe everything you think. Understand that you don't need to invite Jesus to rewrite his word. You need to invite Jesus to rewire your mind and rewire your thinking and to line you up with his word. Amen. You were born in the world knowing nothing. You've been taught everything. You have a lot to learn. Christians don't say, I figured it all out. I know all there is to know. The end. No. Jesus is our teacher. We want to learn from him. We're also told in verse number 41 that he's the Messiah or the Christ. Meaning Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the one with unprecedented spiritual authority. Jesus is the one that no one else is like him. Jesus is the Messiah. We're told in verse 45, this is one of my favorites, that he is the fulfillment of Scripture. Look in verse number 45. Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, we found the one whom Moses and the law and the prophets, they did right. We found the one that Scripture was pointing to. That all that they said, all the stories, all the analogies, all the typology, the sacrificial system, the, when you see the prophet or the priest or the king or the shepherd, that all of it's meant to point you to the true prophet, the true priest, the true king. It's all meant to point to him. We have found that one. Adrian Rogers used to say it this way. You can cut the Bible in any place and it'll bleed because the blood of Jesus stains every page. When you understand that all of this is about Jesus you have done yourself a huge favor and you can understand the Bible as it's supposed to be understood. It's all about Him. I found a, a video some time ago, I think I maybe even showed it to maybe a handful of you at one point in time, uh, specifically about this. And I think it said it's better than I could say it myself. So I'm going to ask the guys to play this. It's about three minutes long that talks about Jesus being the fulfillment of Scripture. not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. 
There is a true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. Okay, good amen on that. That's a creative way of saying what Philip said to Nathaniel. I found the one who Moses and the prophets spoke of, who they pointed to. We have found him. Who is he? Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. We found him. This is the fifth description, son of Joseph. And Jesus had no earthly father in the truest sense of the word, but Joseph served as his adopted father. This is one of the reasons why Christians have, have really led the way in foster care and adoption, not just in a modern age, but for, for millennia now. The Christians understood that our Savior was taken in by a father who was not truly his own and that our Savior actually had a foster father and have, have had a heart to reach out to the helpless and those who had no, no parents of their own for years and years and years and years. We're told that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a whole lot different than the Son of Joseph, but the Son of God. This is why they wanted to kill him. Not because of the miracles he did, not because he healed people. They wanted to kill Jesus because of what he said. And he often said that he was the Son of God. And they understood that to be exactly what Jesus meant, that he was equal to and with God. He's called the King of Israel in verse number 49. The Jews were constantly faced with, do we follow these kind of makeshift leaders of Israel? Or do we follow the Roman true powers and the emperor, the king that's ruling over us? Who do we follow? And they were looking for one that would go over top of all of that and would be the king of Israel or the king of everything, one that they could look to to be the true sovereign, the true potentate, the true king, the true leader. They were constantly looking for that and we're told that Jesus is that king of Israel. We're told in verse number 51 that he's the ladder to heaven. This ends in, in a way that, that if you don't know the story or get the illusion, you scratch your head and think, what in the world did Jesus just say? But if you know the illusion, then you get it. Verse number 51, Jesus talks to Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, you've seen some pretty cool stuff, man. I know about you and I know where you are at, but you're going to see something better than this. Nathaniel, I tell you verily, verily, truly, you can bank on this. I say to you that hereafter ye shall see heaven open 
and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What is Jesus doing? He's, he's leveraging Nathaniel's knowledge of the Scriptures, and he's, telling, he's alluding to Genesis 38, where Jacob had a dream, and the dream was that heaven opened, and a ladder came down, and there were angels going up and down the ladder, kind of connecting heaven to earth in Genesis 38. And Jesus says, Nathaniel, I am the ladder. I am the one that the angels are, are kind of metaphorically speaking, going to ascend up and down on. I am the one that's going to connect heaven to earth. I am going to bridge the gap. I am the one that will bring the glory of God down. I am the one that will bring you to the Father when it is time. I am that connection between God and man, the, the, the only one, the true mediator, Jesus. I connect that on the ladder. Then we're told that he's the Son of Man. That's how it ends. The Son of Man is verse number 51, and it's ending. One of the favorite phrases for Jesus, mentioned 80 times in the Gospels, what does the Son of Man mean? It's an allusion to Daniel 7. We're told in Daniel chapter number 7 that there's one who we're looking for, one who is coming, called the Son of Man, and this Son of Man will have dominion, this Son of Man will have glory, this Son of Man will have an everlasting kingdom, that kingdom will not be destroyed, and people from all nations and all languages and all tongues will all serve Him, that that's the Son of Man. This is the title that Jesus uses for Himself when He's on trial. That they bring him into Caiaphas's house and they put him on trial and say, who are you? Jesus says nothing. And finally they ask him, are you the son of man? Did you say that? And Jesus says, I am. And they tear their clothes and begin to buffet him and beat him to a pulp because they understood what he was saying. That he was saying, I am the one who has dominion. I am the one who gets the glory. I am the one who everybody serves. I am the one who has a kingdom that will surpass all of the kingdoms that will be an everlasting kingdom. That is me. This is all meant to the whole first chapter of John. I mean, we got 20 more chapters to go. The whole first chapter is just meant to show you, here's who Jesus is. And if that's true, then you get why following him is logical. You get why that's sensible. It's not just, oh, I'm following some, some random leader. Who knows if he really has power, authority, glory. No, 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 no. When you say, I'm following Jesus, what these men said, I'm following you, I'm giving up all, you're in control. You can see that's actually rational. It's, it's the only expected outcome if you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Amen. That you would say, I give you all. You say, what's that mean for me today? Well, simple. If you've never followed him, become a follower. Become a follower. Put your faith and trust in him, surrender him control, become a follower. If you are a follower, what's your next step? What's your next step? This is Jesus. It's important for us to be reminded over and over again of who Jesus is and that he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of the glory. He's worthy of our all. He's, we need to share him. So what's your next step? Figure it out. Take it. Pursue it. Engage in it. No less is expected of a follower to figure out what that is and pursue it.